This is Real Estate Rookie Show number 42. But because of that, it was on the income section of the MLS. And so, and it had been on there for like eight months. So I think maybe a lot of people, if they were thinking about buying a home to live in, they probably didn't even see it. is Ashley Kerr, and I am here with a married man, Tony <laughs> Robinson. Congratulations. Oh, Ashley, uh, thank you so much. You know, it's like, it's so weird. Like, I'm still getting used to this thing on my finger right now. Like, I keep playing. Oh, yeah. Like, Let's see. Hold like, up the bling. Let there everyone you go. see it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I feel like, uh, you know, like when you were a kid and you get a loose tooth and you just like kept playing with it. Like, that's how I feel with this ring <laughs> yeah. on my finger now. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I have to ask, tell me all about your closing so you were gone getting married and you closed on a property and i closed on a property while i was out so we we closed on our our third short-term rental our our second in joshua tree california and this one's a, a little different than the first one because it's it's almost like a tiny house it's only 391 square feet so you know it's, it's literally just a little studio but it sits on almost an entire acre um, so we've got like a, a lot of land around it. So we're, we're excited for this and we think it's going to bring kind of a different crowd than our first one. Um, it's got a bit more of like a, a modern finish and things like that. So we're, we're hoping to have it up and run in the next couple of weeks here, but excited to keep adding to that short-term rental portfolio. Yeah, I saw the pictures on Instagram. So if you guys haven't seen them, go look at Tony's Instagram and it's really cool. It's really unique and it's yeah. a brand new build too yeah, right? brand new build yeah, yeah. And we and we got lucky because this the the guy that built this he's got uh multiple properties all over joshua street that he's in the process of building so if this one goes well we'll probably pick up some more from him as well okay so share his name his information so we can all go and buy some too <laughs> there you go yeah that, that's my that's my secret weapon right now so i'll, I'll keep that <laughs> yeah, one close yeah. to Jess. Well, I have some exciting news to share real quick. I still am like in shock over this. So the building, the four unit, two residential, two commercial that I put the liquor store in, we purchased it for 20,000. We put about 70,000 into it and it's fully rented running. And we just got our appraisal back. It was done in October. The bank finally sent it to us. And so we had 90,000 into it and it appraised for $220,000. And I was like in shock. I had to scroll up to the top and like make sure they sent me the one for the right property. Like we didn't, we thought like maybe 120, maybe 150, but so that was really exciting. Now we just got to figure out what we want to do with all that equity. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, my next purchase will be in whatever, whatever you tell me to go buy, Ashley, that's what I'm buying. Cause obviously you've got like the magic touch. I'm uh, looks like well i told my partner he's today he's meeting with someone to talk about buying their self-storage units i'm like look at this deal that i had found that twenty thousand dollar property that <laughs> you know we, i figured out how to turn it into two hundred twenty thousand. so you you need to bring a great deal to the table there too. You go. put some pressure on them whip yeah, them into yeah. shape ashley there you go. yeah yeah so today we are talking with lauren keen aman and she is going to tell you all about a bed and breakfast she bought and how she's turning that into an income producing property for herself and her primary residence and not going to continue to run it as an Airbnb or I'm sorry, a bed and breakfast. Yeah. I also really love Lauren's story because she talks about um, almost like a, a horror story with a tenant during COVID. And I think there's some good lessons that we can all learn on on perseverance and, and just how to kind of handle those situations. Um, and she also talks about managing all this while having a, a W-2 for both her and her husband. And, you know, I think a lot of people who are getting started can can relate to that part as well. 
Yeah. And she's also a blogger, does podcasting. She is all about the financial independence movement. So it's interesting to hear how real estate is helping her reach her FI goal and retiring by the age of 40. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the BiggerPockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent to retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Would you be able to tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So uh, thanks for having me, Ashley and Tony. I'm excited to be here. I live in Tarpon Springs, Florida. So right now where I am sitting is in our house hack. We bought a 119-year-old home and has two vacation cottages in the back. So I'm sitting in one of those. And we have, um, in addition to that, we have a duplex as well. And so that's kind of our, our real estate 
background. I am married. My husband is my partner in all of this. And I do have a nine to five job where I sell corporate training. And in our spare time, we like to uh, go to the beach and uh, go for a lot of walks, drink a lot of wine and also bike. That's awesome. How did you guys get started in real estate and what made you want a house hack? So my parents and his parents, for that matter, both have their kind of mom and pop type landlords. My parents have their primary home and a rental home that my mom bought as her primary 30 something years ago. And so when I bought my first home, it was in 2012, I was 23, great recession, just graduated college. And I, when I bought my second home, I just decided to keep that one and rent that one out. And I thought I was going to do the uh, American dream that I saw my parents have, you know, work till I was 65, live in that, what was my second primary home, but was now my primary and rent out the first one and use all of the tax benefits and things like that um, with that. And then that's how I got into, you know, reading Bigger Pockets books and Rich Dad, Poor Dad and, and all of that. And then realized I want to do a little more than that. Yeah. No, so I'm, I'm curious, Lauren. So you said that you were how old when you bought that first property? 22 when I went under contract, 23 when I closed. So that that's that's really young, I think, in a lot of places to, to get your, your first property. So, I mean, I know for me at 23, I wasn't quite thinking about buying my first real estate investment. Like, like was it your, your parents that kind of pushed you into that? Or I, I guess just walk us through the, the mindset that made you think that at 22, almost 23, that you should buy a property. Yeah, that's an excellent question. So again, it was great recession. I graduated from the University of Florida and I did get a job really quickly, but it was like in retail, nothing special as a retail manager. So I did have a, a decent job. So I had income and I started looking to move out of my parents' house. I did move back in after school and I just didn't want to be there. My sister, I love her. Okay. But you know, my sister was, I think um, nine at the time, you know, and when you're 22 and 20, 22 and like single, you're like, I don't know, you don't want to be living with your little sister. So I ended up looking for apartments and when, you know, the apartments at the time, they were like, just okay. And they were like $800 would have been what I was paying to live with a roommate in a two, two, like in an old building. And that housing market was so depressed at the time that a three, two, one car garage in St. Pete, um, St. Petersburg, Florida was $125,000. It needed a little bit of work, but the payment was literally going to be less than that. And I could be by myself. I did end up getting a roommate. So sort of a house hack there before I, of course, knew what that was. So I ended up paying, you know, only $200 a month to live. So it really just ended up being the difference between, you know, an apartment was literally more was that your first like look into real estate as to, wow, there's actually something to this or was there something else that really clicked with you as to, I want to keep doing this? Yeah, it was, I, I really like real estate. I just, it's, it's fun for me. I enjoy it. I do have, you know, a business finance degree and I've had, you know, a, an eight year career now and, you know, selling corporate training and I do enjoy that. So, but I do like the idea of having a hobby that makes money, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> now kind of walk us through how how you got to you know from that first property at 23 years old to, to where you are today was it you know kind of a straight line what, what, what were the the steps in between yeah so when i started 
Um, when I was like, you know, 23, 24, 25, I started doing really well in sales and just started making more money and did the typical lifestyle creep thing, you know, like got the BMW and was like, all right, let me get the bigger house. Right. So the house that I was living in the first one, it was, it was decent. It had, you know, a somewhat updated kitchen. I ended up doing both of the bathrooms and painting it inside and out. So it, you know, it had a little bit of a facelift, but you know, I wanted a two car garage instead of a one car garage, two, two sinks in the master bathroom instead of one. I was then dating my now husband. And so I was like, all right, let me just get a little bit bigger, a little bit nicer and about a 30, 40 year newer house. And so we did that. And then it was actually my dad who said, you know, are you going to sell the first house? And I said, yeah, I'm I'm planning to, so I can put 20% down on the second one. I'd only put 10% down on the first. And he said, well, do you need to borrow money from me to keep that? I think you should do what you can to keep that house. And so I did, I borrowed $28,000 from him, which was about, that allowed me to do the 20% down on the second house. And then I just rented the first one out. And then that's when I really got into, again, reading the bigger pockets books. I've read like, I think five of them or so. And I read them all in that first year. And I started to realize, you know, from a cash on cash return perspective and from a cash flow perspective, it was just an okay investment, you know? So how did that look? So you started out with a roommate in your first house hack, and then you actually turn it into a rental and you're a landlord and you have this tenant in your property. Was there a big change into how you manage that unit? It was, I was worried that I was going to have an emotional attachment to it and putting tenants in there was going to be something that was hard for me, like they're going to trash it or something. Um, But we ended up with this old couple who sold their house and retired and wanted to rent. And so they were actually really easy. We did like, I think two inspections the whole time and they kept the place super clean and were, were really easy. I did read, you know, Heather and Brandon Turner's book and I probably would have gotten to the point where I put the binder together and hung the keys on the wall and, you know, did all of those things, but I didn't quite get there. Cause I only did that for about a year and a half before I sold that and bought our duplex. Let's talk about the duplex a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So elaborate on the purchase of that. Yeah. So, but I, again, I bought that first house for 125,000. I was able to sell it for 225,000. Again, it had been seven years. So, you know, it's not quite the return that you would think it would be, but then we bought the stuplex for 170,000. And so rather than having a house that was worth 225, bringing in 1400 in rent, we were able to buy a duplex for 170 that was bringing in 1800 in rent. So the numbers just worked out better. And it also, we got to keep our exposure to St. Pete. I was actually, one of the Bigger Pockets articles that I read recently came out in June, 2020, said that St. Pete has had uh, like a 58% rent increase or something in the last five years. So we got to keep our exposure to St. Petersburg. We just did it in a multifamily instead of a single family. Okay. I, I want to recap the numbers there a bit, Lauren, just to make sure I followed that. So you, can you repeat what you sold that first property for? Uh, 225. And you said you bought it for 125, right? Yeah, that's a good spread. That's a really good spread, even if it's over a couple of years. Well, yeah, I did do two bathrooms. So that was a total of probably 15,000. And then with the paint and everything. So I'd probably put 20,000 into it. Got but it. yeah, still okay. decent for sure. And then you, you sold that and you move into this duplex. Now, now were you looking specifically for multifamily or, or what made you think that I want to go from a single unit to, to multiple? <laughs> 
Yeah, we didn't move into that. We were still in our sec- my second house at that time. That was pure investment at that point. It was just, it was the numbers. You know, it, when you're looking at something, you're sitting on equity, 225,000. I was, I mean, we're still in our 20s. My husband and I are in our 20s at that point. And it just doesn't, it didn't make sense to be sitting on all of that equity and bringing in 1,400 a month when we could basically get a place for 170 bring in, we, we did pay cash for it so that we could uh, safely put it in an LLC because it's in a little, an area that needs, you know, it's, it's doing some gentrification. So we just wanted to be fully protected. So we did pay cash for it. So we still have equity sitting there, but obviously the cash flow numbers are a lot better. So that's really, that's really what it came down to. It was a numbers thing. It's not a prettier property. It's, it's not a sexy property to own. There was a, a shooting on the street while we were under contract. Like it's not, it's not nearly as beautiful as your first three bedroom, two bathroom home in a really nice area, but it really is about the numbers. And we think we'll get some good appreciation because the rent has, it basically has to go up. It's about a mile from downtown St. Petersburg. So we feel pretty bullish on it. Yeah. So I guess a couple of things I want to unpack there. First, I think you made a really good point about focusing on the numbers and, and not trying to be too emotional about the the decisions on where to invest, right? And mm-hmm. if you have the the stomach and you have the skin to invest in maybe the you know the C C minus whatever uh, grade you want to give it neighborhoods, if you can do that, then then move forward with it if if it works for you. But I also want to comment, Lauren, on the fact that you said you paid cash for this property and you, you talked a little bit about like risk and things like that. But I, I guess just walk us through why you decided to put all of your money into this investment as opposed to to getting a loan on it. Yeah, it was it was we really did go back and forth on it in St. Petersburg. And I know I've listened to the podcast. I know you can invest out of your area and out of state and all of that. This is the real estate rookies podcast, right? I wasn't ready to jump into that. Um, So we did want to invest in our area so that we could pop over there if we needed to. Um, So because of that, the all, all multifamilies basically are going to have multiple offers and their a financing offer is just not going to cut it. You're just not going to win. You're not going to get that property. So we had the cash because I had sold the first property. So I got like 110000 out of that cash. And then I had, um, I actually got sandwiched on the interstate. So I had a $40,000 settlement. And I really wanted to invest that money so that I could pay for, you know, my massages and, you know, the therapies that I will need for the rest of my life. So we really were able to put those two things together and realize that, okay, we can at least pay cash and get the property. And we considered then refinancing, get it doing a cash out refi from there. But it gets complicated when you want to put it also in an LLC and having a loan on it. And we wouldn't have had the income, you know, we wouldn't have the proving proven income to get a commercial loan or anything like that. So one thing kind of led to another and we ended up just keeping it in the LLC and keeping it, um, keeping all of the cash there for now. Again, this has only been about 13 months since we bought the duplex. I just want to touch on one thing right there, just the the financing and the loan and the LLC. And just if, in case anyone's not aware, there is some difference in the type of loan you are going to get if your property is in an LLC. There are some banks that will lend on the residential side. I used one once and they, they did, I think, a 20-year term, but it was at 7.35% fixed for 20 years. That was not a great deal. <laughs> we refinanced out of that, but and that really can make a difference. Some people, which um, they will actually put it uh, in their personal name, get the residential, the 30-year fixed mortgage on it, and then they will quit claim deed the property mm-hmm. to uh, their LLC, which in most uh, mortgage documents, there is a clause saying that the bank can um, call the loan if you are to change who's the owner, uh, who has title of the property. So 
There are people that take their chance and risk and do that, but there's definitely a big difference as to having the property in an LLC and what kind of financing you can get. For commercial, I mean, you might only get five-year fixed and amortized only over 15 years. So that can really hurt your cash flow compared to having that fixed 30-year mortgage. So was some of that why you guys decided to do cash to just to have those better terms and not have to do the commercial lending? Yeah, I mean, we we didn't probably do the extent of the research that we should have done maybe to find a portfolio lender if we would have done that and we would have thought that perhaps that would have stayed on their books. But I mean, even the, the mortgage on this place that I'm in right now, it we never even made a payment to the lender, right? It, they immediately packaged that and sold it and, or, or whatever. So we were we were pretty sure that they would call the note due. We felt like that was a real risk. Um, so the option of the other option is to not put it in, in an LLC, right? Get a big old umbrella and do it that way. Um, but again, because of the area that the property is in, we didn't want to do that. We're thinking about refinancing the home that we're in right now. This is the, the bed and breakfast house hack that we're doing. And when we do that, we would like to finance a duplex. We do have an umbrella, but do it in a nicer area. And, and, and you mentioned the bed and breakfast and I want to get to that, but before we do, I, I think the, the, the point for the listeners, Lauren, is that there's so many different ways to go about getting these deals done. And, you know, a lot of times people reach out and they say, you know, I'm in this position, what should I do? And, and a lot of times Ash and I can't give, you know, the exact specific answer that people are looking for, because it depends on your situation, it depends on, on your risk profile, it depends on what you're comfortable with. But I think the cool thing about this show is that we hear so many different stories and so many different perspectives that eventually, uh, for those of you that that are listening, you, you might hear something that, that resonates with you. So, so thanks for sharing that, Lauren. Now, yeah. um, I, I do want to talk about this this bed and breakfast. Now, I hear it's 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 like a really, really old property and, and you guys are trying to renovate it. Just give us some backstory on, on what it is, how you landed on it, and, and what made you go this route as opposed to just a traditional kind of long-term rental. Yeah. So it just, it all starts with learning and growing. You know, when I'm 23, I buy my house and I think, okay, I'm done, right? I have my real estate. And then over time, I'm like, okay, maybe I'll have a rental like my parents do, but I'll still have my primary. And then it's like, well, that wasn't cash flowing right. Let's get into the duplex. So one thing kind of led to another and you start looking at your budget and you realize the biggest number on your budget is that mortgage. And that mortgage on um, the second house that I bought, which was the primary um, as of the beginning of 2020, that that mortgage and, and with the flood insurance, because I'm in Florida, was $2,100. And you know, that's, you learn from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that's a liability, not really an asset. As somebody with a finance degree, I struggle with that because I know <laughs> I know about balance sheets and things. But the point is we wanted to get our get that line item basically off. And there's two ways to do that. One is to pay off the property. The other is to get it to pay for itself. So then, you know, I started talking to my husband. We were our lives had changed. We were both working from home. And this is pre-COVID. We were both working from home. And so I was like, why are we living? 20 minutes from Tampa and 20 minutes from St. Pete. We don't need to be this close. We don't need to be here. And at the end of the day at five o'clock, we want to get out the door and do something. And we don't want to get on a main road during rush hour. So it was back when rush hour existed, right? So we ended up being like, well, what if we, what if we moved? And then once you start thinking about moving, you start thinking, well, what else would I like to have? So we wanted bigger office space for both of us. We were sharing an office and that wasn't fun. So we wanted office space for both of us. We wanted to be able to walk to restaurants um, and we wanted to be able to bike right out of our, our house. So we started looking at different towns still in Pinellas County where I was born. 
And we, we looked at Tarpon Springs, Dunedin, and Safety Harbor, all which are on bike trails, all which we could walk to really nice downtown areas. And then you start thinking about all that and you're like, also, what if it had, you know, what if we could use what is a primary mortgage loan, a conventional loan with an owner-occupied loan and have some rental opportunities in the back? And so one thing kind of led to another. And once we laid our criteria out, um, Tarpon Springs quickly became the front runner. And then um, we kind of narrowed it down to two properties and ended up with this one. How did you find this property? Were you using a realtor or were you looking for off-market deals? Yeah, I have a realtor. Actually, my friend is a wholesaler too. Met her on Bigger Pockets. She sent me a colleague request and we became friends, but she she works for a wholesaler. And I was telling her what we were doing and she said, well, have you seen this one? So she actually pointed it out to me. This was a commercial bed and breakfast where the woman lived here and she ran, she lived actually, I think in this unit that I'm in and then rented out the house. We're doing the opposite. But because of that, it was on the income section of the MLS. And so, and it had been on there for like eight months. So I think maybe a lot of people, if they were thinking about buying a home to live in, they probably didn't even see it. So let's talk about that. You see this house, what happens from there? How did you analyze this deal as a bed and breakfast? Yeah, well, we knew that we were going to be moving into it. So we basically, one of the questions was when we get this appraised, is it going to be a residential property? So that was kind of one of the first questions we had to answer because in order to run the numbers, we had to know what the interest rate was, what we had to put down and what our options were there. We found out that if we lived in it, they were going to, they were, it was going to be a conventional loan. The problem is it is technically a duplex, which is a very strange thing where you have a 1500 square foot, 119 year old home, a converted garage apartment, which is what I'm in right now. Um, like a she shed. And then it also had a mobile home on the property. So somehow that was a duplex. I don't, <laughs> so that made comps really weird, but that that's still, you know, one to four units, you can still get a, a conventional loan if you're going to be living in it. And actually, I think probably if you're going to finance it too, you would just have to put more down, but I mean, and not live in it. So we started, we just ran the numbers and we, we made really conservative assumptions on what we could get for the, the back unit the mobile home was in really rough shape. So we knew we were going to get rid of that. So then we just started to see what would our, what would our payment be if we did an FHA? What would our payment be at 5% down or, and all of those things. And what did you decide on for that? Yeah. We decided to do 20% down. I, I paid PMI on that first house because I put 10% down and I, I'm like, I'm not going to default. I don't know. Normally I'm okay with, you know, paying interest and things like that and paying for insurance, but I really, I pretty much made a vow at that point that I wasn't going to pay PMI again. So we did do a 20% down conventional loan. Now, now, but are you guys planning to to run this as a, as a bed and breakfast again in the future? Or are these going to be like long-term rentals for you guys? Well, it's going to be Airbnb vacation rentals. It's not going to be a bed and breakfast. Uh, we don't, we did not continue her commercial cooking license, which you actually have to have. So we're just going to be living in the main house, which is a three, two and a half house. So, and my husband's office is really big. So there's a guest space up there. If we have, you know, if my sister comes and stays or his dad or whatever, and then there are the two little cottages in the back that we will rent out, but on a short-term basis. And the reason we wanted to do that and not long-term tenants is if we want to have a party, like a 4th of July party or soon a housewarming party if this renovation ever ends we can block these and have our backyard to ourselves how long are the renovations going to take for you guys they started we got our roof done our roof was uninsurable when we bought the place it was original if you can believe it from 1901 
Wow. So, um, <laughs> so we got that done, you know, in the middle of hurricane season, that was fun. And we, so we got that done late July. And so it's been going on since then. This is the final week we've done, um, floors. We refinished the 119 year old heart pine floors, did the kitchen, did the master bathroom, um, painted inside and out, added closets upstairs because this house had one closet. That was an appraisal issue too, as you can imagine. And we did a huge yard remodel too. Can you break down the numbers for us? What was the asking price on this property? What did you get it for? What is it going to rent for? What's your mortgage payment, your cash flow, all of that? Yep, sure. So it was originally listed in the summer of 2019 for 379. Again, on the income section of the MLS, it dropped periodically over time. And so we are, we looked at the place on February 16th. That was the first time we ever looked at it again, pre-COVID, right? So um, I'll skip the drama with all of the, you know, we got, we went under contract on it the day before the world shut down. So <laughs> we ended up backing out, not even doing the inspection, renegotiating a few weeks later, and then renegotiating on the roof and the structure based on inspections. But there was a lot of, it, it went on forever. So we ended up getting the property for 285000 with 5,000 in closing cost assistance. With the first appraisal, it appraised for 245. And that would have meant because the owner had three mortgages, she would have had to bring money to closing. So we then had to contest the appraisal and it did reappraise at 300,000. Can you tell us a little bit about that, contesting the appraisal? How, how did that go? It was wild. Um, <laughs> I, I, I definitely, again, it's a duplex. So if you can think about there were quad, like a typical quad on that comp list, which, you know, they make their adjustments and do what they need to do to value it. But when you think about it's a really beautiful Victorian 1901 home with a, with a, with an enclosed garage in the back, you know, that and it's really hard to find comps for that. So we called the lender. I'm like, what do we do? We can't, we can't even meet in the middle. We have to do $150,000 renovation to this thing. I can't bring another 20,000 to closing, right? What, what do we need to do here? And they contested the appraisal and then the appraisal company had to admit that it was deficient and they brought another appraiser out that had more experience apparently in the multifamily space and then ended up, and, and the first appraisal too said we had to put two, she had, to, she had to, the seller had to put two closets in upstairs and get rid of a porch or put a railing on this one porch. The second appraisal said went up from 245 to 300, no questions asked, didn't have to do any of that, which of course we did. Did you have to pay extra to have a second appraisal done or what did you have to do on your end? Yeah, we had to pay another 600 for the appraisal. But worth it. Yeah. yeah. Worth it. And but I, I just want to add on to that. <laughs> yeah. I, I just want to add really quickly that, that like challenging appraisals, like I, I just did that for, I think the second time on the property that I just closed on. And we, we actually had three appraisals in on that property. So the first one came in way over, like we bought the property for, I think 285, the appraisal came in at like 350. And then the, the, the appraiser actually came to us later and said that he messed up. And he had to reappraise it and then it appraised for, I think, like $50,000 less than the purchase price. And then we had to challenge that appraisal as well. And then we, we had one that came back almost right at, right at purchase price. So I'm, I'm just sharing this experience with the listeners because I think it's important to let people know that you can at times go back and successfully challenge an appraisal if it comes back. Right. To and so. it, you have to kind of make, you know, decide what is when when is the right time to do that. My cousin just had a house appraised 5000 less. And it's like, 
he just had to come up with the money. I mean, it wasn't really worth the time and the effort to get the reappraisal. But when it's a big swing, like what you had, Tony, or what I had, that makes a lot of sense. Now, now, what about the rest of the numbers here, Lauren? So we, we know what you bought it for. What, what are you projecting like class rolls to be once it's like up and running as a, as a short-term rental? What does that, that look like? Yep. So that's going to be, we're going to be doing that in January, which is season here in Florida, right? Because it's cold everywhere else and people want to come down here. And we don't have the COVID restrictions that we maybe should. So we have, again, we have this unit that I'm in right now. It is a studio. It's 520 square feet, full kitchen, bathroom. We lived back here for most of the renovation. I believe conservatively what we would take home after VRBO or Airbnb takes their cut is about $60 a night conservatively. Then in the other one, the other little unit next door, which is basically an efficiency where it's going to have, you know, a microwave, a refrigerator, a bed, a TV, a desk, and a bathroom. We think we'll take home 40 conservatively on that. And then um, we haven't really touched on this, but where the mobile home was, there's a 30 amp hookup. So we bought a camper and we're going to rent that out too, which I think is about, will will be about what this one gets just because it's like kind of cool to be camping in downtown Tarpon Springs in a really neat little camper. So to add all that up, if we had 50% vacancy, which I think is also conservative, that would be um, $2,400 a month. That's beautiful. And then what's what's your what's your mortgage on this property? If you're going to be bringing in 24, are we are we cash flowing like crazy? What does it look like? Well, right now it's 1750. The insurance is out it's just insane on this place. We are not in a flood zone anymore, thank goodness, but it's an old house and of course we're going to be having short-term rental guests and our insurance company is aware of that as they should be. So, our insurance is um like $4900 a year. So that that's actually a pretty big portion of the payment. But again, we do feel like it's worth it. So it's $1,750 right now. Again, we are thinking about refinancing. So we may get to the point where we're pretty much breaking even. But again, we look at it as, again, we own the duplex for cash. We almost look like we're, we're kind of financing maybe the duplex with this if we're breaking even on this, if that makes any sense. And you're living for free. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. For the short-term rentals, are you going to use any special software or are you having someone manage it or are you just doing it yourself with Excel? What does that look like? We are planning on starting to interview companies to do it for us as much as possible. We're we're on the fence about that. Again, we both do work from home, but when the world writes itself, we will be traveling for work and we have the camper. So we probably want to take that around. So we don't really want to have to be here to even change the locks and things like that and change the bedding. Um, I do have a cleaning service already lined up. They've given us quotes and things like that. And they've agreed to bill us monthly and, and things like that. So that's a little bit, a little bit TBD right now. Yeah. I just want to add one thing, Lauren, you know, I I work full time. I've got all my investments as well, but we still self-manage our short-term rentals. And there's so many different pieces of like software and processes you can put in place to really automate it so that your actual communication with the guests is is pretty minimal. So AirDNA, Smart B&B, we use like keyless entry codes. Like these are all different things we put into place that that help us kind of manage this whole process and makes it doable, even if you do have a full-time job. So um, I'll I'll challenge you and your, your husband husband to, to see if maybe you can you can use some of those things yeah well. and we might start that way and see how it goes i just wrote those two down that you mentioned and we'll look into that thank you tony no absolutely so I, we kind of already talked about the rookie deal but i guess is there anything else from your experience lauren buying this property renovating it that you feel guests should should hear 
Yeah, I would say get some renovation experience under your belt before you break off a gigantic one. I did those two bathrooms in the first one, but you know, I had never done a kitchen. I had never done a roof, never done structure, never done a yard remodel, any of that that we had to do here. I think maybe we, we, I wouldn't say we bit off more than we could chew, but I would say our eye, you know, our eyes were bigger than our stomach a little bit. It's been, it's been more work than I thought it would. I mean, talk about Tony having a full-time job, right? But we're, you know, you think you hire a contractor and they are going to manage their people, but it's not unusual. A plumber will show up and be like, what do you, what do I need to do today? And it's like, okay, hold on. Let me just take a timeout out of my job and walk you through what you need to do. So the money is one thing. We're staying pretty much on budget, which is which has been a pleasant surprise, frankly. But there's a lot of there's a lot of time involved with it too. So that's that's a, a huge learning experience here. It's it's a love, it's a great idea to force some equity into a place and and all of that, but maybe start with something where you gotta do like a bathroom or a kitchen. <laughs> Yeah. What do you think it's going to appraise for if you do go ahead and refinance once the renovation is complete? It's going to depend on whether we can persuade the appraiser that it's a single family home. If it's a single family home in the range of, of 425 to 450 is what we're hoping for, which will allow us to take, you know, 100,000 of our 150,000 that we put into the reno back out. And again, then allow us a pretty good safety net, but also um, allow us to finance a duplex. If it, if it appraises again for a multifamily, there is one other property like this one. We actually looked at it that it has a lot bigger lot and it has an actual garage, but it's sold for 540. So I'm hoping that you know, we can use that as a comp, even if it ends up being a multifamily, but we'll just have to see, you know, I'm a little jaded on the whole appraisal thing. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right there with you, Lauren. Now, I, I do want to ask a bit. So how, how has your experience been as a landlord through COVID? A lot of different investors have had different experiences. I was one of the lucky ones where, you know, all my tenants paid on time. We never had any issues. How, how has your experience been? It was horrible. <laughs> okay, I mean, give, give us some, give us some insights on what happened. There's a good story behind it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's wild. Again, I, you know, with the duplex, I told you it's in a little bit of a rough area you know, so we allowed for more vacancy and we do have a property manager there and he's absolutely fantastic. I owe him so much for 2020. But one side we had, I believe it was around a 65 year old male renting it and he was our only tenant. He had moved in a 26 year old girlfriend that we were unaware of. And he told us towards the end of March, again, that, you know, we shut down for COVID basically mid, mid-March, mid right? He told us he wasn't going to make April's rent, which not surprising, you know, people in that area, they're basically paycheck to paycheck. They miss one paycheck. They are not going to pay their rent. It was not a surprise to us. And we probably would have worked with him on it, except on April 4th, he was arrested for domestic violence against her because he told her to leave his place and tried to shut the door on her and she stuck her arm in the door and he closed the door on her arm. And so he went to jail and she got a restraining order against him and put our property as her address. So he was not allowed to re return. And she immediately changed the locks. I just so, did a landlord class that like talked about this, like as an example as to like what happens when there's like a domestic you know, disturbance at a house and like who stays and who gets to go and everything like that. And it was there's a lot yeah, to it, a lot more than it's I thought. Because I mean, she's not on the lease. Okay. Right. So, yeah. you know, we, we had to, but because, you know, my, I have a good friend who's a police officer. He's like, no, on, on the police report, her, her address is on here. So that's where she lives. And 
that's all well and good. You can probably establish that she's a tenant and maybe even use that lease to get her evicted if you were allowed to evict. But so, so help, like what happens from there? Like she, she says that she lives here and, and uh, like, is she still there <laughs> or? <laughs> so that was in April and the police were called three times between then and June. She moved a homeless man in and bit, bit him or something. I don't exactly know what was going on there, but of course this is a duplex. We have another tenant there. And so she's like Lauren and I, I had never had her number before. She was just talking to the, you know, the property manager, but I'm like, I got to get involved here. She's like, Lauren, what do we do? I'm like, there, you know, I, I want to get her out. You have no idea, but my lawyer wouldn't even file the paperwork. Like he's like, we just got to wait. And that's what I told her. I said, you know, I did tell her, Hey, if she ever abandons the place, then we can come back in. So, um, about in June, there was a pretty bad smell coming from the place. And our, our other tenant gave me a call and said, I haven't seen her in a long time. I said, well, if it's been more than 15 days and she's abandoned it and we can come back, she said, I haven't seen her in three weeks. So we went in and this, so again, this is June. So we've lost April's rent, May's rent and June's rent by this point. This is June, like late June. So we're already going to definitely be out July at this point. Right. And we go in there and uh, the, the power and water had been shut off for a long time. And the companies are not, the utility companies are not supposed to be doing that, but she had utilities in her name somewhere else. So she couldn't get these put in her name. If that makes any sense. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know how that happens. So she did actually break both meters and start to steal the power and the water, which I didn't know you could really do. So um, <laughs> she is, I'm telling you, if she, if she did anything else, but this, she'd be successful. But so because of the no water thing, you can imagine what the toilet looked like. And um, that had been tracked around the house and there were maggots and it smelled really bad. And so, but we had the place back. So it actually wasn't that bad. Um, she had broken a window to get in, I think initially. So we had that window fixed um, and we had, you know, a cleaning, we had people cleaning, a uh, cleaning company come in there and deep clean it probably in hazmat suits. Our, our property manager wasn't there. I wasn't there, but it was about 300 bucks to get that done. And, you know, we didn't even actually have to paint the walls we just cleaned them and everything. So um, nothing was really broken at that point. The following day, we went, we had a feeling she might go there and she had broken back in the following day and, um, you know, smashed the stove and took some more of her stuff. And at that point we got a, we got a moving company and took her stuff and bought her two months in a storage unit and, and put her stuff in there. So I, I just want to make one quick comment, right? I, I think the story you just shared, Lauren, is like the, like the, the horror story that every would be real estate investor, uh, fears, right? So we, we just like lost half of our, our audience right now, I know, right? Sorry. Like, but, but I, I think the, but I think the point to make though, is that you go through this challenging experience, but at the end of the day, you still own an income producing asset. And even though you lost out on, you know, however many months it was, three, four months of income, that's going to make up for itself because you're going to hold this thing for how many years, right? Like how many years are you going to hold on to this? So um, you, you got to deal with the, with the ups. Um, you have to deal with the downs if you want to be able to experience the ups. And I, I love the, the resilience that you showed. I mean, at, at any point, were you thinking, let me just sell this thing? Let me, you know, I don't want to be a real estate investor anymore. We never really thought about selling it. I mean, remember, we, one side was paying. We, don't, we didn't have a mortgage on it. So, you know, the pain wasn't that bad. We had a $10,000 fund in there. So it, it really was pretty much paying for itself. I looked at the numbers recently. We do have someone else in there started paying in September. So we lost six months of rent. We are going to be in the black on it, even with all of this. And 
I, w- I would tell people not to be too scared. This is the strangest thing to ever happen, probably to landlords where there's a federal moratorium on evictions or or local or whatever they are. And my lawyer literally wouldn't file paperwork. You think this happens, I'll just file paperwork, right? Like we'll evict. It's not a big yeah. deal. And you know, I think I think this is I'm hoping just like a one in one hundred years event and they won't have to deal with this like I did. I had a, a tenant that didn't pay. And uh, so they actually came up with some money a couple weeks ago and they haven't paid since March. And they actually got a grant where they'll get, so they owed like 5,500. They came up with 3,500 from the grant and then they had another thousand. So they're $500 short. And I said, you know what, let's just do it. Let's get it over with. And I said, but let's do an inspection on the property and make sure that it's not trashed inside and that we want them to stay. And the inspection went great. But with accepting the grant money, you can't evict them for six more months, no matter what the federal government does. And it's like, okay, do I want to take this risk to get this money now or what? But it's like, there's no winning scenario here, I feel like. Yeah, I feel like it actually worked out for us as best as it could with her abandoning the place and us just yeah. changing the locks and getting in there. You know, it, it 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 worked out and our property manager was great through it. And remember, all of this was going on while we were under contract for this place, having inspections, renegotiating multiple times, being short on the appraisal, closing. So real estate was a big part of my days there for a while. Well, let's move on to something hopefully more upbeat and happy. (laughs) Let's learn about a key player on your team. So who is your MVP? The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. 
Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. The person that you would call the most valuable player who has really helped you build your real estate portfolio. I mean, that's that's my husband for sure. The first couple of properties I, I paid for myself, um, but he is um, he's an engineer. He's great at DIY and he's very supportive and of me and really trusts me and my numbers. So he's he's number one for sure. I mean, I could not have gone through this, you know, almost five or six month renovation without him. I mean, we've we've had moments where it's like, did we do the right thing? And we're there to pick each other up. And luckily, you know, if if. I'm feeling down. He doesn't tend to be. We don't really seem to line up on that, which has been just invaluable. So how does someone find a husband like that? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, okay, Cupid. You work with your wife, like you guys do your portfolio together. My husband and I really, he's not really involved in my real estate. He helps some, mm. but you know, maybe you both can give some great advice as to how to keep that great working relationship when your MVP is your spouse. Yeah, I, I think the one thing I'll say is that you, you have to find a strategy that that suits your your kind of personalities. Like when when we were focused just on long term rentals, my fiance, my, not fiance, she's my wife now. <laughs> my my wife wasn't interested that in in that at all, right? Like it just didn't excite her. But now that we're doing the, the short term rentals, that's something that she can get her kind of sink her teeth into. And we, you know, obviously we we complement each other because we're married, right? So there's things that she's good at that I'm not so good at, and vice versa. And we were able to apply those same kind of skill sets to to the real estate business. So that's what worked for us, Lauren. I'm I'm curious how it works for you and your husband. Yeah, something else that I've learned through all of this is I tend to handle the design of things. Um, my husband being engineer, like he can't put a room together until he sees it, you know? So I kind of have to walk him through the vision and do the design and things like that. Um, but there's some things that he's really passionate about, like crown molding. He was like, no, we're putting crown on the cabinets. We're putting crown in the, in the living room, in the dining room. And he's really passionate about lighting, like under cabinet lighting in the kitchen and things like that. And I just use that as kind of an example of ways that we have complemented each other really well. And this project would not have turned out the home and backyard are ab it's it's really beautiful. We're really lucky to live here now. And it's only because we complement each other so well. Awesome. Now, I, I want to take us to, to the next segment here because I, I'm, I'm curious what your answer will be. But um, we're going we're gonna to go to the Ricky request line. And for those of you that are listening, uh, if you want to have your question possibly uh, mentioned on the show, give us a call at 888-5-ROOKIE. You can leave us a voicemail. We, we might use it on the next show. So uh, today's question... Hey, Ashley. Hey, Tony. My name is Jensi. I'm calling here from Fort Mill, South Carolina. And um, I guess I'm just kind of stuck right now. I purchased my first property uh, about three months ago, personal property where I'm living with my wife. And I plan on house hacking my next property, but just 
because the fact here, at least in the Fort Mill area or Charlotte area of North Carolina, it's very, very hard to find multifamilies. Um, so I'm even possibly thinking on maybe not uh, house hacking and maybe, I guess, buying out-of-state property on my, my next property. What would you guys suggest and what do you think I should do to uh, acquire my next property? Thank you. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's an excellent question and you can do that. You can buy a primary home and then buy another, you know, separate property. I love the idea. Again, I said it earlier of using your owner occupied conventional loan with a great rate to basically finance a rental property by having it on your property. I don't, I'm not familiar with the Charlotte area, um, but if there are detached garages, I mean, you could convert that or an above garage apartment or, you know, something a little bit less conventional. You could buy maybe a trailer and get a 30 amp hookup, for example, and rent that out. So there's there's other ways to do it. You may need to get creative. Of course, I would say maybe it's because I live next door to City Hall, um, but you know, do things above board, you know, get permits, make sure things are okay. Because I think the worst thing you could do is convert, you know, spend, spend, I don't know, 50 grand or whatever it is to convert a garage and then have to tear it out because you didn't do it the right way or above board. I love that advice, Lauren. I think the only thing I'd add to that is that when people think house hack, they always think, uh, like multifamily, but you can house hack with a single family home as well. Like my partner, that's how he got started. He bought, uh, him and his wife bought like a, a five bedroom house. It was just the two of them and they rented out all of those extra bedrooms. And, you know, I've, I've seen so many people use that, that strategy as well. So, um, Gen Z, if you're, you're thinking of, of house hacking, look at single families as well. True. Yeah, I really like both of your guys' idea. And one of the ways to really add value to a property is converting the basement. Uh, so in New York, almost every single house here has a basement. And then you can also do the separate dwellings. I think those are getting more and more common in California, right, Tony, where people are mm -hmm. putting a little separate dwelling in their, yep. their backyard and renting those out. And then even just uh, looking at a single family that maybe has a large room that has a separate entrance that you can convert to even a studio apartment and rent that out. And then like Lauren had said, putting a trailer on there. Felipe Mejia, our good friend, he used to, or he still does this. He'll Airbnb his camper right into his driveway. And he gets people who are just pretty much passing through town, just need a place to stay for, you know, eight hours and then they're gone. Uh, so you can even do that, use your RV. So yeah. Anything else? Did we miss any ways to add value to <laughs> No, that, that might've been our most valuable like MVP answer since I've been on the show. So that was a good one. Yeah, I think we all really contributed there. And a good point on the basement in Florida, that would have never crossed my mind. So that's a good ad. Okay, so we're going to move on to our random questions here. So Tony and I just kind of pick off a list or we create some as we've listened to your story, Lauren. So I'll put Tony on the spot today to go first. Go ahead, Tony. So I, I guess my, my question, Lauren, is is about how you balance kind of everything you have going on real estate wise with work. Um, I know I get this question a lot, like how do you balance having a, a family and a full-time job and your real estate investing? So what do you feel that you do, Lauren, that helps you kind of manage your time effectively? Well, this has been, I wouldn't say there's been a lot of balance through the renovation, especially in the last few weeks, my husband in the evening will replace a toilet or something, you know, and I'll be, I'll be washing curtains to put them back up. You know, there hasn't been a lot of balance in the last few weeks, but what I do, it, it's, it's not very sexy, but I'm every Thursday, I make a to-do list for the following week. 
and I put everything on there. Um, you know, I have I have two podcasts myself, two websites. I'm uh, in a graduate program for a personal financial financial planning certificate from Boston University. And then of course I have like the full-time job and the rental stuff that we do. So it's really just about, you know, making lists and I, it's scheduling time for me. I want to, for my question, I want to ask a little bit about, you know, your financial independence, blogging and personal finance. What is your personal FI goal and how is real estate helping you reach that? Yeah, we would like to retire at 40, um, but we're not we're not typical fire aficionados where we spend very little. I mean, we do because we both have actually very good W-2 jobs. We're really blessed, especially in these times. We do save about 50 percent of what we make. Um, and I say save. I'm including, you know, putting money into this house as an investment in that case. Right. And, and our, our 401ks and Roth IRAs and stuff like that. So you would like to retire at 40 and, you know, some of what started all of this craziness was, you know, we created our spreadsheet and we started planning things out and the retirement time was going to be, the retirement date was going to be 50. And I was like, well, how can we shave some time off of this? And uh, house hacking seemed like the best way to do it. Yeah, it's, I love that approach, right? And and I, I, I bring this up all the time, right? But everyone's got different goals and everyone has different timelines. And again, we, we get a lot of questions about how do I do this? How do I do that? But it's all about what your goals are. And if for you, your goal is to retire by 40, then you're going to have a different strategy than someone who's investing to retire at 65. Um, so again, for those of you that are listening, you always kind of want to take bits and pieces from each person's story, but you got to apply them to your own, to your own unique path. So yeah. Right. And I would add to that, there's things here called Florida basements. And that's where after I think 1974, we aren't allowed to build on the ground level because of flooding. So there's things called Florida basements where we, they build houses on stilts and then they, people will enclose them and rent them out. We looked at a, a beautiful house on the water and with like a, a quote unquote Florida, Florida basement that was, it looked like we could rent it out. And we really kind of fell in love with this place because it was beautiful and it was on the water and we realized we probably, we could rent it out, but we'd be really rolling the dice with that. And when you have your goals and when you have your why, you're able to really filter your decisions through that. And we pretty quickly were like, it's not worth spending $550,000 on this place and risking that we can't get any money in there. We started looking because we want to, we want to accomplish the, the, our goals. We want to have a rental uh, ability for sure. And when you have your why and you have your goals, you're able to filter that. And it actually became a really easy decision for us to not pursue that property. That's such yeah, great that advice. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, so Lauren, tell us where we can learn uh, some more information about you, get in contact with you. Yeah. So um, I have a website. It's, it's realadultingiseasy.com. And I'm on Twitter at adultingiseasy. I do a lot of personal finance things there. Um, really, it, it's about educating myself about personal finance and my sister, who's um, 14 years younger than me. I'm trying to teach her things that she's not learning in school. So that's really how that, how that all started. So that's a good repository of personal finance information. If you're more interested in this particular house and the renovation and even Tarpon Springs, Florida, specifically, you can go to vacationtarponsprings.com and we are Vacation Tarpon on Instagram. And we will link all of that in the show notes at biggerpockets.com forward slash rookie 42. 
Well, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today and providing us with so much value. I know everyone is going to be searching for those income producing properties now on the, the, the other side of the MLS. So yeah. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. I'm Ashley Kerr at Wealth for Rentals, and he's Tony Robinson at Tony J. Robinson. Thank you, guys, and we'll see you next week. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.